Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Environmental economics is a really dark art. It's always really difficult to get tangible dollars and costs associated with environmental issues and initiatives. And obviously, this is just one of them. You know, what, how much does a, an extra ton of carbon in the atmosphere cost the planet? Who knows? But it's something that environmental economists have to battle with day in, day out. And certainly, probably cigarette butts is no issue. But certainly, the fact that the federal government is getting $15.6 billion per year out of cigarette revenue, I don't think you're asking for too much, like a 1% proportion of that to actually do something about a significant issue that is coming out of the use of cigarette butts in this country. And to be honest, we look at the potential costs, that's one thing, but there's certainly the economic benefits associated with cleaner waterways, litter-free beaches and and oceans and park spaces, et cetera. The economic benefits of that alone, even if you didn't care about the seagull or the seabirds or or whatever, the value of that cigarette butt-free environment would be enormous. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everything from the tourism aspect of that, I think, has to be, you know, in play there. Uh, you know, you mentioned the seagull and it's like everyone's got to find their seagull, whether that's mm, an image mm. of a baby picking the cigarette butt up off the ground and yeah. going to put it in its mouth or dog eating one. Everyone has got a reason why they could or should actually go, oh, my God, I didn't realize. But everyone's going to have a different trigger and a different emotional trigger to actually go, oh, now I care. So whether that's, you know, a bird, whether that's a fish, whether that's a dog, whether that's a baby, whether it's a plant, whether it's the, the, the reef. So we've got to tap into to that part of the behavioral mm. side of not just the, the smokers who are the ones committing that act, but the non-smokers yeah. so that they can politely have that conversation with the smoker to go, hey, did you realize? And, and we think, you know, there's so much fun that can be had with that, you know, and I think I'd probably throw a couple of my puns, you know, at you whilst we were in Sydney. Like the, the, the best one I think is, can I grab your butt? Um, because, you know, if you imagine walking along and you've just dropped, you know, you flicked your cigarette and then someone comes up behind you and go, hey, can I grab your butt? How cool is that kind of thing? Like, yeah. And it, and it plays on our <laughs> – I don't get it off. Yeah, the T-shirt's on the way. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's so many cool, cool things that we can do with it, I think, to actually have that, that national awareness in that very Australian humour yeah. kind of way that sort of delivers the fact that, A, it's not acceptable, but, B, you know, there's a bit of fun in that. So – no, littering's not fun. The environmental impact's not fun. But if you go hard-handed with someone that's already potentially addicted and doesn't want to change that behaviour and say, you can't do this because of this, this and this, it's going to be a very short conversation. So I think approaching that in a yeah. 
um, not, I wouldn't say in a gentle, but sort of in a, in a sort of a fun manner whilst delivering a serious message is one of the key elements to getting this right. Yeah, and like I definitely like that approach because my big concern, when, and and I'm sure everyone's when you see a cigarette butt getting flicked out of a car window or down the park or down the beach, it just makes yeah. your blood boil. And my concern is that I'll walk over this person who's just flicked the cigarette and just lose it. I'll come across like this raving yeah. lunatic screaming. Whereas if I had some sort of friendly pun I could use or yeah. an approach, I'm not sure if I gave them a butt. Can I grab your butt? But something along yeah. those lines to essentially just diffuse the situation a little bit and still achieve, I guess, the result I'm after in terms of having the person not do it again or pick up their butt. That would be very, really, really useful. It's interesting to have those experiences, those one-on-one experiences in those settings where you either witness maybe they're a smoker, um, maybe they do the right thing, or, or maybe they're just smoking. And, and I will often, they're not invasively, but, oh, you know, have you got a couple of minutes? And I spoke to a gentleman that was sitting in the shade and there was, you know, dozens of butts on the ground around him. And I said, oh, you know, why did you choose to have a smoke here? So it wasn't about why are you smoking or where are you littering, whatever. And he goes, oh, well, you know, I really like this area because mm. it's da da and obviously people smoke here because you look at the cigarette butts on the ground and whatever else. Mm. And you turn that conversation into, you know, questions around, oh, do you think there should be dedicated smoking areas? And, you know, you sell that on the positive, noting that that means that 99.9% of places are going to be designated smoke-free. I think having those yeah. conversations is important. I spoke to a guy who I saw butt his cigarette out on the ground, great work, he walked over to the bin and there was a waste bin and then a recycling, i.e. glass and bottles bin, and he put it in that bin. So I said, oh, do you mind if I ask you uh, yeah. your, your choice to put it in that bin? He goes, oh, man, I didn't even realise, I just I just threw it in there. Got to talking about yeah. butts being you know, recyclable, would he consider recycling his butt if there was dedicated infrastructure? Did he realise there's a pole just five metres the other way? And again, they're really great conversations to get insights into the mindset of a smoker. Because if you don't understand, you know, someone's mindset, why are they doing that? Then it will be very hard to help them on their journey to change their behavior. Yeah. And actually, you bring up recycling. So let's, let's talk about that now. So I guess, are there actually opportunities to recycle cigarette butts? And does anyone do it either within Australia or overseas? Yeah. So de- definitely there are opportunities. I think being a plastic. That gives way to, to be able to take those properties and use them. And there's three manners which I identified. There's probably more than that. I've seen people talking about using stuffed pillows, stuffed soft toys. That for me doesn't resonate, but I'm sure in other markets where there's probably mm. less regulation and so on, that is at least repurposing that use. So I'll, I'll let mm. them deal with their, their smelly soft toy. <laughs> um, but at least, at least people are innovating. But the main one which has been commercialised is by a group called TerraCycle. They're a US-based social enterprise. And the CEO there is, is very much into you know, recycling everything. And there's also an other initiatives. It's not just about recycling, it's about reuse. But certainly for this case, it's you can't reuse a cigarette, so it's recycling. And what they've identified is a method on how to essentially strip out the cellulose from the filter and pretty much combine it with other plastics and create a, a low-grade plastic pellet. And look, I applaud the initiative. The concerns I've got with that, though, is that at the moment, the only facility is based in the United States. Right. So for Australia to that it will be very hard because there's mm. obviously costs associated with transportation which get passed on to the people mm. who are recycling mm. them mm. as well as the carbon footprint now they believe that the carbon is actually lower impact to the environment than if it was in landfill the other thing is that we can't 
monetize that in Australia if it's a plastic pellet in the US that they then will make, for example, a park bench or a, an ashtray or something like that from. There's a revenue opportunity there and there's an employment opportunity and that's in America at the moment. So again, I, we would love to see that in Australia. So if there's a like service, and I believe there are some exist, but they're not scaled in Australia. So that's the first one, it's sort of more of the, the plastic stripping and, and repurposing into plastic. Um, the second one is, is based off extensive research from RMIT in Victoria, and that's using um, basically shredding cigarette butts and putting them into, initially they were looking at clay fried bricks, so basically using them as a composite in clay fried bricks. Now, I'm going to get my ones and fives mixed up, so I will confirm <laughs> and, and let you know. Yeah. But there's one of the, the studies was that I think it was a 1% of cigarette butt composite, so 99%, you know, sand and whatever else, 1% cigarette butts in bricks in 5% of the annually produced bricks would solve the 4.5 trillion cigarette butt problem. Mm. So in other words, there are so many bricks being produced that if you put 1% content of cigarette butts, even be 5% of the annual brick production. So you're kind of using that. There's things like uh, the material itself, it's obviously relatively flame retardant because it mm. stops your yep. face burning yeah, in the smoke. <laughs> it's buoyant as well. So there are properties actually in it which see value. So whether that be in cladding, roof tiling, insulation, and so on. So it is a commodity that should be explored and, mm. and is being explored. So we've got an endorsement from a, a large Australian building supply company. I won't drop their names here because yep. the grant hasn't been applied, yeah, yeah. it hasn't been approved, but they see the value in at least trialing this. Because we see lots of things like your plastics, you know, your recycled plastics in concrete and those sort of things. Um, so we want to explore that. I think there's merit in questioning, you know, what's the end of life? How long does the concrete last for? What happens afterwards? So we wouldn't want to rush into providing that as an immediate solution. But certainly we believe that it is. And I joke, people throw cigarette butts on the pavement. Why don't they become part of the pavement? You know, it's, mm, mm, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to have it as 5% or 10% of your concrete slab, is there much harm in that? And that's what the, the scientists need to do, the leachate analysis on. I guess the difficulty um, would be to have that infrastructure to actually collect the cigarette butts, essentially, so and keep that potential waste stream as separate to, I guess, other materials, which I think may be difficult. I, I don't doubt that it's difficult. I think that it's possible. There's groups like some of the, the curbside recycling groups that are actually now expanding into, you know, traditionally non-recyclable items. Mm. So, you know, you could, for example, have a portable ashtray, an enclosed portable ashtray from a household, which is included in these um, that can be separated out and, you know, collected as essentially as a commodity. Um, and mm. that's what it would become. It becomes a commodity for building and construction supplies. Mm. RMIT did their research using a blender, so like a juice blender. So I think we'd probably need something a little more industrial because <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know how many cigarette butts would be in one uh, blending. But uh, <laughs> then then the third one, which for me is is the most exciting and, and it's, it's the least explored. So there'll be parts of that which, you know, I don't understand, which people don't understand. But that's actually using mycology, you know, the study of mushrooms because um, I'm a fun guy. Um, boom, boom, and- whoa! Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> had to drop one. Yeah. Um, um, but there's basically the mycelium, which is the root network of the mushroom, which you can actually fuse with products such as, in this case, cigarette butts. And because cigarette butts are cellulose, arguably a bioplastic, it's made, it's a mm. plastic from yeah. wood, basically. Yeah. In the natural environment, mushrooms can actually digest that. So think of mushrooms as nature's animal. They yeah. actually digest stuff. Yeah. And the output of that, you know, whatever you want to call it, your in, in, you know, intestinal fluids, your poop, your output, whatever it is, 
That basically is a fused, you know, culture of, in this case, you know, cigarette butts and the mycelium itself. Um, so what we're actually looking at doing is exploring things like um, having packaging materials created from um, cigarette butts. So, you know, rather than using cardboard boxes and those sort of things, can you actually offer, um, you know, if you buy a TP, you'll get all of that sort of big padding around it. Can that actually be made from treated, remediated cigarette butts? Because what happens is the mushrooms actually remove the toxins from the cigarette butts whilst they are digesting them. Um, so it, it, it essentially it produces what should be, and that's why we're, we're pushing the research into it, a compostable material, a biodegradable material from what previously wasn't. Um, so that's, mm. pre- that's pretty cool. And there's groups around the world. There's living ashtrays, for example, they're gi- a giant kind of culture, like a, a colony of mushrooms just there, and people can actually ash in it. And it, you know, digests. It takes wow. about two months to digest a, a cigarette butt, but it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Look, and you mentioned research, and I think you started our chat talking about a whole bunch of data, which is essentially just mind-boggling still. But is there sort of more data being collected around this issue and problem that potentially helping to drive change in, in this space at all? I think it's starting to. And, and one of the, the comments I noted, not only in, in my presentation, but throughout the Litter Congress the other day, is that need for a national framework for aggregation of data. Mm. Uh, because at the moment, if I go and collect butts on a butt patrol and you know collect a thousand of those, where do I input them? Now, we've got so many different options. Mm. I record them all myself. But we've got so many different options and there's different taxonomies. So cigarettes are a, an item unto themselves in most of them, but they could be listed under plastics because they are a plastic in the other. So mm. the f- government can't actually pull out a framework on a heat map and say, okay, how many cigarette butts were littered? So when you start talking about, I guess, the validation of that data and I'll use those big numbers, 8 yeah. billion, yeah, where yeah. did that come from? Yeah. That's probably yeah. just an extrapolation of a data set based off X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Whereas if you start getting that data from councils, start getting that data from environmental organisations, and I think I made the comment, data should be democratised. Everyone should have access to that because that's when the aggregate will actually be able to help drive systemic change. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I, I've, there was a bit of talk about this at the conference as well, that, and I've heard this before about there's so many sort of metrics or sort of categories of litter 
and there's no consistent approach, at least in Australia alone. And obviously then you go overseas and there's a whole bunch of other categories. So there's certainly a greater need for coordination and collaboration and consistency across data gathering. And obviously then you go to the looking at the uh, solutions. And one point that you made uh, in the talk, and, and it wasn't something that I was aware of, was uh, whilst uh, you, you mentioned the federal government money that could be potentially allocated to the cigarette problem, at least the federal government are actually acknowledging cigarettes as a significant issue. Like there is a, a national plastics yep. plan that has been recently released and they do significant mention to the issue of cigarettes, which I guess is a real yeah, positive. Yeah. It's been um, incredible timing and a sort of almost, yeah. you know, the, the, that universe talking to you sort of mm. thing um, is the fact that I decided to go on this mission. And one of the first things that happened within about a month of forming the charity is they announced all this funding for product stewardship. Now we applied because for me that almost identified everything we wanted to do. Uh, we weren't successful in that, but that opened up the opportunity to have conversations with what is now the Product Stewardship Centre of Excellence, which is a fantastic body advising those wanting to do voluntary or mandatory schemes, as well as then the federal government. And part of that was the ability to talk to you know the minister's office um, and talk to people from the Plastics Plan, along with other environmental organisations. And highlight the fact that these are plastic and should be defined as plastic. And we were very lucky enough to actually see that. And I said, I'm sure it's not my sole doing by any means, but having extra voices to, to talk about this topic. And under the um, National Plastics Plan, one of the actions which they actually identified was the formation of a task force to identify, you know, how to address the plastics within cigarette butts and the consideration of an industry-led cross-sectoral product stewardship team. I'm kind of doing that from memory, but it's, it's probably word for word because I, I studied that so much because I loved it. <laughs> it's, it's the first time it's it's the first time it's been acknowledged as a plastic, and I think that's so key. And even now, being able to help get definitions under you know as a waste plastic under the recycling modernisation and manufacturing modernisation means that companies, whether it's your your busies or whoever, can actually scale up recycling facilities to really exploit this as a commodity, as as something mm, that mm. a resource. Mm. that's going to create employment and revenue opportunities within Australia. And then if I go back to our global vision, imagine being able to be that recycling hub for Asia, you know, with the volume of smokers from China, from India, from Vietnam, Philippines, and so on. Having that infrastructure and framework in Asia, and we can capitalise on that as a country while solving one of the world's problems. Yeah, yeah. It certainly, certainly seems like the universe is conspiring to support you and and, dri- <laughs> and drive, uh, I guess, action around this initiative. Because like I said, it's, it's not a new problem. But like you said, just in the last, I'd suggest in the last 12 months from my personal perspective, that does seem to be more attention and awareness and action around this issue. And to be honest, I, I don't think that's in no small part as a result of your specific actions as well. So I certainly take my hat off to you in that regard. But I guess one one final question I had for you was vaping. Like, and as a non-smoker, I'm not that familiar with vaping at all, but I see, you know, the cool kids uh, in the city vaping. Is vaping better for the environment relative to cigarette butts, the cigarette smoking? I think it's unproven. I think what we've got in cigarette butts is certainly a, a known quantity or certainly an estimated known quantity of the environmental damages that that actually causes. Um, with the vape units, you've got all the different considerations such as, you know, the cartridges themselves, there's the batteries, there's all of mm. the different elements of that. So I'm not saying, you know, it's better or, or worse from a health perspective. I'm, I'm not the person to probably mm. ask on that. I think certain people believe that, you know, there are benefits. Mm. Is it environmentally better? Um, I, 
I would say it's just unproven and mm. I almost wouldn't want to ch- test it. I think we've probably got that watch and wait approach here. Um, it was interesting actually to hear one of the comments from yeah, one of the representatives say, from yeah. tobacco yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and talking about, well, we can't talk about that really because, you know, it's not legal or when we're allowed to do this. Um, <laughs> and my understanding is that the sale was already kind of banned. I don't think it's illegal, but you're not allowed to sell. And they put a pause on importation last year. So I oh. think that's the reference that she was she was making, that at the moment there's no real regulation about being able to buy, sell or import in Australia. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I don't know if that means it's being done illegally or if it just means there's no regulation behind it, but I've certainly seen an increase in vaping. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unclear on what the environmental impacts would be Certainly, we would have to change our slogan from a butt-free environment <laughs> to something else. But but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I do recall one of the comments from one of the other presenters who who was basically doing litter cleanups and actually had data around what they'd picked up, and she actually said that she had seen a notice, noticeable increase in is it the vaping cartridges that are being found. Yeah. So I understand they're sort of maybe single or multiple use cartridges, and they're, and they're basically finding them in significant quantities being littered in the environment. So whether it's a butt or whether it's a sort of a, a one of those cartridges, obviously we don't want that in the environment at all. And it's, I'd suspect that potentially the cartridge has a potentially, uh, I guess, a greater hazard, choking hazard at the very mm. least, and da- potential damage yeah. to the internal organs of anything that might ingest it. So, yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, a, it's a fair assumption. I think it is one of those things that you know it's 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 too hard to tell. Um, mm. Interestingly mm. enough, New Zealand. So slightly off topic, but just thinking about vaping and, and recent changes. Um, New Zealand at the moment is in a six-week consultation period to talk about the future of smoking. Um, wow. And what they're actually, one of those actions that they're looking at is is banning smoking or not allowing people to smoke that are born after a certain year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, you know, kind of almost grandfathering. So if you're a smoker yeah. today, okay, yeah. the prices are going to go up places you can buy from are going to be restricted and the places you can smoke will be reduced or restricted as well. But if you're 18 now, you'll never be able to smoke. You'll never be able to buy cigarettes. So it's kind of almost like an ID check, but the age stays the same. So anyone, you know, I think 1999 was the target kind of year. Anyone born after 1999 will never be able to smoke. Mm. Um, so that's in a consultation period with the public at the moment. But very interesting to see what happens because they are quite, you know, forward-thinking nation. I'm sure the, the tobacco industry uh, listeners of this show are all of a sudden gasping at the thought of banning <laughs> cigarette smoking in Australia and the rest of the world. Certainly New Zealand are leading the charge on a number of environmental issues. And I'd like to see Australia follow lead uh, on many of those. But wouldn't that be amazing to see Australia and other parts of the world progressively ban smoking? That would be incredible. But certainly it's a significant problem that the cigarette butts, and it's actually one we can readily solve. And I think if I was a tobacco industry person, if a key reason for the banning may actually be environmental concerns, I'd, I'd be doing my darndest to actually proactively mitigate that environmental damage and essentially do something about this little problem ASAP. Because to be honest, the solutions that are readily available are just like you said, it probably does need more awareness and funding to actually help drive those changes. I guess we have a whole bunch of motivated listeners now, so you, you, uh, their probably mouth is still on the table uh, listening to these uh, truth bombs that you dropped at the very start. So they're, they're keen to know what they can actually do, whether they're a smoker or whether they're a non-smoker. What, what would you suggest to the listener as to what they, should, what, what they could do to help achieve no more butts? 
Yeah, I think the as a smoker, and you know whether it's, it's somewhere between ten to fifteen full time to casual smokers, you know what we'd be encouraging them to do is take steps to remove the litter from their environment. Now, whether or not that's a portable ashtray, you know the little plastic pouches you see, whether that's putting the butt back in the cigarette packet, whether that's just using the existing butt bins or the existing infrastructure ashtray at home. So we would love to see a world where it's recycled everywhere, but we know that that's you know not an immediate vision. So the immediate first step is just to make sure that you don't litter your cigarette butt. They aren't biodegradable. They are litter. They will take up to 15 years to break down. So that that's the first important step. For the 80, other 85 to 90% of people that aren't smokers, um, for me it's about that positive reinforcement or that that positive messaging to reinforce to smokers what the impact of their decision has on the environment. So it's not yelling at them. You know, maybe if it's your relative or parent, you can do that. Um, (laughs) But I think just, you know, making them aware of what what those decisions are. We would love to see people participate and get involved, for example, in um, whether that be uh, recycling initiatives, uh, whether that be, you know, just making sure that the cigarette butts end up in the bin, cleanup events, those sorts of things, uh, helping report on data. There's so many things that mm, people can do. Mm. And, and look, you've set out this goal of a butt-free environment. So how optimistic are you that you will achieve that butt-free world? Well, firstly, yes, you know, it's realistic. You know, whether or not it's in the next five to ten years, that's that's probably unrealistic given these little things sticking around for 15. Yeah. But if we can make progressive impact to make sure that that eight billion becomes seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, mm. then that you actually see that that noticeable change, and you're educating a new generation of people, people that aren't currently smoking, that maybe mm. mum and dad or auntie smokes, and you educate those from a, you know environmental perspective, uh, from a, an earlier age around the impacts and. The adolescents, the youth coming through now are far more open to all these changes. So we would expect that they then don't make those decisions. So it is realistic. We, my initial slogan was, but free by 23. And, uh, that lasted for around about three months. Um, <laughs> I, it was more of a, you know, Kevin 07. It was more of a political <laughs> campaign, I think. Um, so, but I think, you know, a butt-free environment, how realistic is it? You know, it's it's a stretch, but it can happen, but it just needs the right collaboration across tobacco, across government, across retailers, across consumers, all pulling together to actually create the solutions on a national and international level. And, um, you know, I believe that we can get there. After speaking with you and hearing you talk about this issue, I'm actually very confident around this issue as well. Like litter is a big problem. It's one we can actually solve. When you talk about collaboration and your optimism, I'm going to quote Margaret Mead. She said back in the day that never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And certainly there's no shortage of uh, committed and thoughtfulness in your No More Butts t-shirt, Shannon. And then, look, it's been a fantastic chat. It's been a fantastic chat, obviously. It's been a real privilege to actually hear you speak initially and then have the follow-up discussions. And obviously, it's been uh, fantastic to have you on our podcast. And obviously, I reckon you've got a whole bunch of people very inspired to actually drive change. So if people are keen to learn more about yourself or No More Butts, where would you suggest they go to? Best place would be off our website, so nomorebutts.org. That'll redirect you to a .org.au, so depending on uh, which way you want to come in. And then we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. There are two main channels. I'm um, floating around LinkedIn a fair bit, both with our brand page as well as uh, myself. So um, many ways to get in touch. The site will take you through a bit of the problem, sort of has all the links to Instagram and so on. We are setting up a, a, a shop within there as well as we start you know, providing you know, commercial solutions around recycling as well. 
you know, we are a charity. We're a registered deductible gift recipient. Everyone is a volunteer, including myself. So anything at the moment that, you know, is, is earned basically goes into the charity operating costs, that be the domain fees, whether that be all the basic costs that, uh, that come with running a company. So. Hey, look, it's such a credit to you. Look, I, I totally take my hat off to you and uh, and your initiative around this and to, to have the uh, mojo to sort of go, you know, I'm going to, this is a problem, I'm going to do something about it. And then to actually just do so much in such a short period of time. And we shouldn't underestimate the fact that you haven't been going for that long. I think, was it, is it last year, July 1st, last yeah, year? Yeah, so, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> wow. So com- coming up to an anniversary. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm sure the last year has created more wrinkles, more bags, and more gray hair. <laughs> but uh, you know what? It's it's something that I'm, I'm so passionate about. Yeah. And, um, you know, not in an in activism way, but just, you know, there's got to be a solution, you know, and yeah. I'm so, so passionate about connecting with people that share that same vision or at least understand where our vision is. And, um, you know, yourself and the, the fellow guys that I had the chance to, to meet yeah. in Sydney from uh, Ocean Protect, as well as all of the great companies that mm. were there that have been on on similar journeys at you know similar or previous times that um yeah it's it's such a fantastic network of people to be connected to shannon mead thank you so much for coming on our little show cheers brad take care thanks for listening to the ocean protect podcast if you'd like to find out more about us and what we do check us out at oceanprotect.com.au